I love that song. For what God has done. Man, he's done so much. Most of all, of course, get, providing for us forgiveness of sins. But you know, even looking at our lives, when you look back on the history of your life, how can you not praise him for what he has done? Man, he is such a good God. You know, one of the things that the when we reflect back on our life, some of the highlights in our lives are looking at God doing the impossible. You maybe think about it this way. Maybe for those of you in here who are husbands, you can think back to the time that you first saw what is now your wife, who is now your wife, and you looked at it and you said, there is no way I'm going to get that beautiful young girl to go on a date with me. And through persistence, God did the impossible and allowed you not only to go on a date, but now she's your wife. Or maybe some of you, you heard these words from the doctor, you'll never have children. And God did the impossible. God provided you with children. This past week, we celebrated what many people thought would be the impossible. You know, it was a ragtag group of farmers and merchants against the mightiest military in the known world. At that time, it was monarchs who ruled over their subjects. And God did the impossible and allowed a nation to be born that was ruled by the people, we the people. And now we are not subjects of a monarch, but we are citizens of a nation, first of its kind. God did the impossible. That's one of the things that we celebrate on July the 4th. You know, our story today is we're going to look at God doing the impossible. That's the one crucial fact you need to know about the story of Jericho. It was totally impossible to bring down the walls of Jericho. Totally, absolutely, completely, utterly impossible. This was a time before modern siege warfare that you would find with the Romans. They did not have that kind of equipment, so a walled city was really impregnable. There was no way at this time in history that you were going to bring that down. Jericho stood between them and all that God had promised the children of Israel. A smart man would walk away. They'd probably say something like, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Yet God's people won a great victory that day. We're going to look at how that happened. Hebrews 11.30, we looked at the, the hall of heroes in, he, in Hebrews chapter 11 a few weeks ago, but it records this in Hebrews chapter 11, by, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30, and it was two words, by faith. By faith, that's all it says, but the story seems so incredible that we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper this morning. As we study Joshua chapter 5 and 6, we discover what I think are really kind of five steps that God had toward this miracle. And putting the matter this way, I'm not suggesting that if we take these steps, God's going to work a miracle for you. But these steps are principles that reveal how God works in his people in every generation. 
They are as true today as they were in Joshua's day. So we're going to look at these steps this morning as we walk through this passage together. Step number one, you must yield your right to be in charge. That is counterintuitive to our thinking. In order to understand this story, we need to start with a strange encounter recorded at the end of Joshua chapter 5 before the battle of Jericho. It says, when Joshua, in verse 13 of chapter 5, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? or for our adversaries? That seems like a natural question, doesn't it? You're in enemy territory. You don't recognize this person. Whose side are you on anyway? It reminds me of the story of President Lincoln when someone asked him if he thought God was on the side of the Union Army during the Civil War. And Lincoln wisely replied, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. So let's look at the rest of this story. Who is this man? Verse 14, and he said, No, but I am a commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And how did Joshua respond? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, in this, before the battle, in this section of the story, he met the commander of the Lord's army. And this is probably a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ because the land that he was standing on was holy ground. Now, notice how Joshua responds. He falls on his face and asks what message the Lord has for him. Notice what he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask, how can we win this battle? He doesn't ask, can you help us bring down these walls? All of those human considerations go out the door when you come face to face with the Lord of the universe. And this brings us to a key message in the book of Joshua is God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. I've said that several times throughout this series. God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. Every Christian should agree with that. But when facing a crisis, we often want to tell God how to answer our prayers. And we do that in the way that we pray. We think we know better than God. It does not work that way. At some point, we must yield to the Lord. We must yield up our thought that we are in charge and at some point, because yielding doesn't come easily to most of us, we can all make plans in the world, but if God doesn't bless our efforts, it comes to nothing. We don't need God on our side. We need to make sure that we are on God's side. 
before the battle begins. And to do that, we have to yield up our ability to be in charge. Number two, we've got to face the challenge. We live in such a weak-minded world that runs away from challenges and wilts in the face of adversity. We get to Jericho, and we have a challenge that is upon the children of Israel. Now, help, let me help you get to the, the geographical situation of Jericho. To get to Jericho, it's one of two ways to get there. You either come down through the Jordan Valley from the southern side of the Sea of Galilee. You come down through the Jordan Valley down to Jericho, or you come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is up in the mountains. You stand in Jericho, and you look up at Jerusalem. So you either come down the mountain to Jericho or down from the valley from the Sea of Galilee. You really didn't come from the south because that was the Dead Sea, and it was desert. So it wasn't an area traveled. So it was one of two ways that you would come into Jericho. The city itself is not located far from the Jordan River. And it's important to keep in mind when you read this story of Israel's conquest. The Canaanites built Jericho as kind of a gateway fortress to the rest of Canaan. Any invading army would have to deal with the walled city of Jericho. You couldn't bypass it. Jericho was too large and too strong to be ignored. So what are they going to do? What was Jericho to Joshua and to the people of God? What do, when they saw that, as they camped out on the side of the Jordan River, what did they see? They saw a fortress of pagan unbelief, a city of strategic importance, a city of human impossibility. When we say that the people of Jericho were pagans, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Canaanite religion. And that's an understatement to call it that, that the Canaanite religion included child sacrifice to the god of Molech. An awful, awful practice. It's one of the reasons why God told them they could not inhabit the land with those people. It was a, a city of gross sexual immorality as came along with the, the Canaanite practice. They could never coexist with these people and worship the true God. It must be confronted and defeated. Because the walls were so high, they seemed to reach to the skies, it said in Deuteronomy 9.1. This city must be defeated or the nation of Israel would never be safe in the land. In the last 140 years, archaeologists have done an enormous amount of research on the ruins of Jericho. And we know that the city had two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall, both built on a slope, making it almost impregnable to an invading army. So the road to the promised land read, ran through Jericho with one word stamped over top of it. Impossible. Impossible to conquer. So the nation of Israel, they have a challenge that they must Face. They cannot avoid it, cannot work themselves around it. They must face it. Number three, they have to follow the plan. At first glance, God's instructions seem very, very strange for conquering this city. And we're going to read through these pretty quick. 
uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the whole story. I'm going to kind of give you the highlights here. It says, march around the town once for six days in verse 3. March the Ark of the Covenant in front. Put seven priests in front of the Ark. On the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. Have the priests blow ram's horn as they march. On the seventh time, around on the seventh day, have the people shout. When the people shout, the walls will come down. And when the walls come down, enter the city, destroy all of the inhabitants, and conquer the city. All of that seems strange, doesn't it? But Joshua adds a few more refining details to the plan. He says in verse 10, he instructed the people to be silent as they marched around the city. He put soldiers in front of the priest and behind the ark, and he had priests blow the ram's horn continually. At this point, the people of God face a clear choice. Either they attempt to take the city by following God's instructions, or they come up with their own plan and suffer overwhelming defeat. To their credit, they did what God asked them to do. As crazy as those instructions that I just read off, as crazy as they seem, for six days they marched one time each day around the city and went back to their camp. Don't you know the people in Jericho are thinking, what are these wackadoodles doing? And on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time around the city, the priest sounded the long blast, and the people shouted as long as they could. What are the chances of this working? Their plan of battle was march around the city, blow the horns, and shout. You know, that sounds like a marching band at a football game, doesn't it? That's what it sounds like. From a human perspective, the Joshua plan does doesn't seem very promising. It doesn't seem like one of these plans of a great general to conquer a city. Marching plus shouting plus trumpets equals what? What? How exactly will that bring down the walls? What would happen today if we took a horn and went up to even the walls of this stucco building of a school and blew a horn at it. Is that school, is this school going to move? No. Not a single thing would move on this school. So far, what we've got is a history channel special on the greatest military blunders. Some of you guys like watching those type of shows. But the story isn't over yet. We've got to remember the promise. The last song that we sang what God has done. The nation of Israel can remember what God has done for them throughout their journey. We recapped a lot of that last week, parting the Red Sea, providing for them the manna that was there every morning in the desert, in the wilderness, making water come out of a rock, parting the Jordan River, all of these miraculous things that God had done and he asked them to do something crazy. And they remembered how God had taken care of them. They remembered the promise. 
What gave the people any hope of taking Jericho? The answer is simple. They remembered the promise of God. We get hints of this in the story. First, God said he was going to give them the city. This is what God said to Joshua before he gave him the plan. Joshua 6, verse 2. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Notice the past tense there. God's already counting it as a done deal. When God gets involved, it's as good as done. When God speaks, you can take it to the bank. And that's what gave Joshua the confidence to follow this crazy plan. He knew God had guaranteed victory. All he had to do was obey what God had told him to do. Second, he put himself in the middle of the battle plan. By placing the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people, God was saying, I'm going to lead this little parade. I'm going to be with you as you march around the walls each day. You know, I I wonder what the people of Jericho were thinking. As they stood on these walls, this walls of security, we already know from Rahab's testimony in Joshua chapter 2 that they knew about the miracle of the Red Sea. And they knew about the defeat of Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings. Furthermore, they could see for themselves that God had miraculously stopped up the Jordan River. They may have even watched that happen from the walls of Jericho. I wonder what they were thinking as the nation of Israel marched daily around the walls. I'm sure it was a little bit of a psychological warfare on them as they watched these tens of thousands of soldiers march around the city walls. They knew the attack was coming, but they didn't know when. It must have been terrifying to watch the Jews But then, you'd think maybe on the third day, or maybe the fourth, fear went, it went, maybe their hearts went from fear to maybe laughing, thinking, what are you crazy people doing? This is the third day, the fourth day. How many days are you going to march around us? Maybe they started shouting out jeers and insults from the walled city. Or was it a kind of nervous laughter wondering what would happen next? Although the people of Jericho did not know it, they were defeated before the walls ever fell. They lost the battle when God got involved. So let's redo this equation one more time. Marching plus trumpets plus shouting plus God equals the walls are tumbling. They're tumbling down. They're coming down. God made all the difference. Those high walls could not keep him out. The God who created those stones could easily blow them over. We don't know exactly how he did it, only that he did and that the city was taken by the nation of Israel. Robert Morrison was the first Protestant missionary to China. And when he was on the ship to China, one day the ship's captain asked a rather disparaging question he asked what do you think you're going to do in china do you think you are going to convert the chinese people and robert morrison replied no quietly he said i don't think i'll ever convert china 
I think God will. I think God will work in the hearts and minds of the Chinese people. That's the same faith that brought down the walls of Jericho. So we see, number four, remember the promise. Number five, never give up. Why march around the walls six days in a row? Why march seven times on the seventh day? Couldn't the walls, couldn't God have just allowed the walls to fall down on the first day or the third day or the fifth day? Yes, the walls could have fallen any time God desired. So why all the marching? The answer is clear. This is how God ordinarily works. The Lord could have said, sit tight and let me handle this. But his normal plan, the way that we see God working all throughout history, is to use people to accomplish his purposes. So even though God had caused the walls to fall down, the people still had to march. They still had to shout. And the walls fell down, they still had to take the city by fighting door to door. Same way in our lives. God wants to do miraculous things through you for his kingdom with those people who by faith follow God's command. Sometimes it seems wacky. Sometimes we think, oh, this seems weird. But God works through those who by faith never give up. And I want you to see the Lord gave the instructions to Joshua personally and not to the people. That means the people only learned about the plan one day at a time. All he told them on day one was, march around the city and keep your trap shut. Don't say anything to the Canaanites on the wall. There must have been some perplexed Jews after the first day. Imagine them saying, General, what's the plan? How are we going to attack the city today? We're going to march around the walls and stay quiet. Okay. Day two, General, what's the plan? We're going to march around the walls, and you're going to keep your mouth shut. I would imagine that that would have probably caused some grumbling in the camp. In this case, faith meant marching in total silence around the city day after day. It's probably the longest parade that you have ever seen. With all of the soldiers, the Ark of the Covenant, these priests in their priestly garb, these priests blowing their, their horns, and thousands of armed men marching in total silence, this strange procession circles around the city on the first day. They retire to their camp. The second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, and the seventh day. But what we see here is complete and total obedience. Never giving up. Partial obedience is not enough. What if the Jews had stopped marching on the first day or the fourth day and said, this is crazy. I'm not going to do this. Or the sixth day. What if they stopped on the fifth time around the walls on the seventh day and they said, we're tired. God, we've done what you've asked us to do. We're not doing any more. We need you to bring those walls down. Not only is there no substitute for obedience to God, there is no substitute for obedience in all particulars to the very end. And when God does not act as quickly as we think he should or in as precisely the way we are convinced that he should act, 
we are not justified and pulling back and finding an alternate procedure. It was only when the people had obeyed God faithfully that victory came and the walls tumbled. So many times we get discouraged in life thinking, God, where are you? Why is this Jericho in my life? Why aren't you doing something about it? And we try to find another way. Instead of never giving up our faith in God. You know, how does this look like for us today? So many times we wake up with this struggle with this Jericho in our life, and what God calls us to do is the next right thing. Sometimes that's a bunch of little things in your daily life that God has asked you to do as a mother, as a father, as an employee, as a student, And as we do the next right thing, God receives the glory. And God works on your behalf. So on the seventh day, the army marched around Jericho seven times, and this is what happened next, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, The people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. You see, that's how faith works. Don't you think there were probably some doubters? Yeah, there probably were in the ranks. That there were some critics? Yeah. Scripture doesn't record that for us. Don't you think there's probably some grumbling? Yes, probably. Complaining seems to be a part of human nature. These are real people who are trampling around the heat day after day. It's hot and dusty and extremely frustrating, but they did it. They took the steps of faith and God honored it. Are there days in your life where the walls seem to be caving in around you and the the life is frustrating yes yes but god honors faithfulness when the walls of jericho fell down another missionary that followed robert morrison in china was a man named hudson taylor a man of dynamic faith whose missionary efforts really laid the groundwork for the hundreds of millions of believers in China. Most church strategists would tell you that there are more Christians in China today than there are in America. And time and time again, he saw God do amazing things in the face of hopeless circumstances. Reflecting on his experiences, he remarked that there are three stages in a great task that is undertaken for God. Those three stages he marked are impossible, difficult, done. Impossible, difficult, done. And here's one thing you learn whenever you start to do anything for the Lord. It won't be as easy as you think. 
It's not hard to see why we have unrealistic expectations. After all, when, when we work for God, our motives are lifted to a higher plane. We search the scriptures. We seek godly counsel. We pray for guidance, and we believe that God is pleased with our efforts. But things move slowly. What we thought would take weeks takes months, and sometimes months turns into years. Enthusiasm lags. We feel stuck in the mud. The curious become skeptical, and the doubt takes aim at our faith. Anytime you decide to do something for the Lord, that is the process that will take place. I have many people who have wanted to be a part of a ministry or start a ministry that go through this progression. You think about even just the starting of a church like this one. It goes through that progression of what is God doing in our midst? Why should it be so? Couldn't the Lord set it up another way? Yes, he could, and sometimes he does, but often God lets us struggle and sweat so that we learn to trust him at a deeper level than we never have before. God will never let your faith grow beyond your level of trust in him. Sooner or later, we all up facing the wall of impossibility. The bad news is that it is really impossible. The good news is that God loves to start with the impossibilities. When God wants to do something big, he starts with something small. When he wants to do something miraculous, he starts with the impossible. And that brings me to the last point here. The real battle of Jericho was not with the Canaanites. The real battle was in the hearts of the people of God. And that's our battle today. Battle is in our own hearts. Will we trust God for what he has done, for what needs to be done in the future? Or will we wilt in the face of opposition? Would they believe what God had said? Would they risk public humiliation if the walls didn't come down? Would they do what seemed absurd from a human point of view in order to see God do the impossible. Remember, it was Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, that says, the walls fell by what? By faith. How will we face and conquer our own walls of impossibility? Where do we find the faith? If we move on to Hebrews chapter 12, we have the answer. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 30, Two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the author and the finisher. He starts it and he finishes it. He is the captain of our salvation. We keep our eyes on him. Do you know the Old Testament name for Jesus? The Old Testament name for Jesus is Joshua. Joshua, that's right. Joshua means God saves in Hebrew. In Greek, it was shortened to Jesus or Savior. The Old Testament, Joshua points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who leads us, leads his people to victory. God has called us to many tasks in life that feel impossible. There are many parents sitting in here today, where the idea of raising children in this world feels impossible. 
especially if you have teenagers. It feels impossible. But through Christ and the work of the Spirit, God loves to take the impossible and bring it out to the other end of young people who love and serve the Lord. We have an opportunity this next week. I am excited. I, th- I told Rachel this week, this is probably the most excited I've been for camp. And you know, thinking back all the years, some of the years I, I was just dreading it. Um, but this year, I'm, I'm really excited about camp. And I'm looking forward to it. We have an opportunity. We're going to talk about this here in, in a few more minutes. For God to take and work in the hearts and lives of the next generation of our church. And I hope you'll be in prayer for that. That God will do the impossible in their hearts. Because God's going to challenge them this week. And I hope the walls in their hearts that they have built up will be torn down through the work of the Spirit and through the message of the Word this next week. I pray that, hope you'll be in prayer for that. God has called us to do what seems like an impossible task. So we're going to keep our eyes on him. We're going to look to Jesus, follow him wherever he leads. When King Jesus leads the way, the walls will come tumbling down. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.